Welcome back to another episode. This week we are talking all about AMH, a hormone test or a fertility test that you may have a lot of questions about. I know that we do get a lot of questions here in clinic, so we thought let's dedicate an episode to AMH this week. Mm. Before we get into it though, give us an insight. What's your week been like? I did a talk this week at Redhead Wellness Centre and we were speaking the topic was pilates pleasure and prosecco and so it was quite fun um i spoke all about hormones through the lifespan in terms of how it impacts our libido you did start the talk by saying i'm wearing my um used tampon pants yes my used tampon pants who says that any normal person (laughs) would say red yes i'm wearing red pants couldn't say that no. i wanted to like get into the womanly spirit yeah you jumped straight in yeah i, I thought if i you if, did get a few laughs though if i just get all of my weird words out at the start then i'd be good but thanks for remembering that <laughs> it was fun though it was a fun little event i just feel like when people talk to us about libido there's so much complexity in it and people just think, oh, it's definitely my hormones. But I Mm. think the biggest thing that I was speaking about that night was the fact that libido is almost like a puzzle in terms of like a thousand piece puzzle. Hormones are going to be a couple of puzzle pieces, but then you're thinking about your environment. You're thinking about your partner. You're thinking about Mm. so much different medications, um, children, everything, Mm -hmm. sleep. So, yes, hormones play a role, but they're not everything. Mm. One thing that I took away from that talk, and it was nothing that you said, it was the sexologist who spoke about libido, and she compared men to women in this really funny analogy. And she said that men are like a frying pan. You turn the frying pan on, it gets hot, and then you turn the frying pan off and it cools down. You know, like it's quite instant. Whereas women are like an oven. (laughs) It can take a while to turn on. It can take a while to get hot. But then once it's hot and you turn it off, it's It's still still hot. hot. (laughs) I thought that was so good. It explains it so well in terms of how um, gender can really change libido. So different. So different. I went home and I said to Stephen, I said, would you say that you're a frying pan or an oven? With zero context. (laughs) He said, uh. And I said, you know, like in terms of your libido, would you say you're a frying pan or an oven? I had to explain it, obviously. Remember we were said that we're microwaves. You put yes. in like you put in like ten seconds <laughs> defrost. <laughs> Sensor reheat. Honestly, that's interesting. The bit though, because Will you went home and told Will and Will said, um, what do you mean still hot? And look, it's a good question because I feel like I can't relate I to the still hot know. bit. <laughs> I feel like maybe I'm a frying pan too. <laughs> Yeah, still hot essentially just means like if you wanted to go again, you could. No, like I I actually can't relate to that. Yeah, but you've got two kids and yeah, you're a microwave. (laughs) (laughs) Would probably, if I had to choose between a frying pan and oven and a microwave, I think that I would, uh, I'd gravitate more towards microwave. Yeah. What's your highlight then? Thanks for bringing up my menstrual, my (laughs) menstrual colored pants. (laughs) Uh, Well, today when I went and had lunch, I walked out of the clinic. We're right on Hunter Street in Newcastle and above Baggins Pharmacy, if anyone's familiar. And so I went down the stairs and went outside. And as the doors opened, I was greeted with this, I don't know, triad of men singing. (laughs) 
I'm like a bird. You know that song? Yeah. yeah. Were they singing Whether the Builders or... It was the tradies yeah. across the road. Yeah. And I thought to myself, one, that's so funny. And two, of all songs, like, surely you could do better. They've brought a whole new vibe to the area, haven't they? I love the vibe. Not only are they stealing our parks, <laughs> they're singing in our streets. Honestly. But what... It got me thinking, right? And I thought, why are tradies, and maybe I'm generalizing here, but why are they so happy? And so I think... Because they get <laughs> I think that they're constantly stimulating their vagus nerve all day, mm. whether that's yelling or singing, and that's why they're so happy. What do you think? I just think about you, uh, like, walking down the street, having all these thoughts going in and out of your brain when someone's just trying to sing to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I tripped over and, you know, that's the end of my day. Good point, actually. There is a lot of so, vagal yeah, stimulation. If there's, there's any tradies out there, let me know what your vagal tone is like. Can you relate? So I am H. AMH is one of these test results that people come to us and they want to know what it is, what it means. Does it mean they can conceive? Does it mean they're going to struggle to conceive? And so what I'm going to do is talk about an analogy that I explain to my clients to mm-hmm. help them understand AMH a little bit better. AMH is anti-malarian hormone and it's a marker of your ovarian reserve. So what I say to my clients, think about it almost like your savings account. The more money you have in your savings account, the more money you'll probably spend each month the less money in your savings account the less amount of money you have to spend each month Mm -hmm. and so in terms of your amh if it is high you have more probability of releasing more eggs within that cycle low amh you have less ability to release more release eggs in that cycle so it's not a marker that says hey you're more fertile because you have more AMH." absolutely not yeah exactly it's just about your follicles completely because amh is essentially um calculated from the cells surrounding the follicles surrounding the follicles yeah so i suppose the question is why do you test it you know if it's that type of test that can cause such great anxiety you know why do we do it and i think from my own perspective I tested AMH when I was, I mean, I was younger. I was working at a fertility clinic, so I was just familiar with it and I was interested. But it can give a good insight into your fertility timeline, so to speak, because as we say, if you have a lower AMH or a higher AMH, it can give us a bit of an insight, absolutely not into the quality of the eggs, but perhaps the quantity. And the longevity of your fertility. Mm. And so... Not everyone will test that in terms of a general makeup. Usually it's only tested for people wanting to understand their fertility or maybe people who are a little bit older Mm. um, who are wanting to understand their fertility. Because as I was saying in the previous episode, AMH testing is not bulk build. It costs $90 here in Australia. So it's out of pocket costs usually. And I think the thing to know about AMH is that while it's linear in that it decreases with age it also jumps around so just because you can get your amh tested and it might be a certain number 
that number can change. There's variances. Um, but just say if your AMH was 30, there's chances that one month it might be 34, some months it might be 28, mm. some months it might be 32. Um, but what's likely what you said is that it does trend in a linear fashion downwards. As you age. And other factors that can cause low AMH, because often we will see people with a low AMH who might be freaking out because, you know, they've been told that your AMH is so low, the only chance you're going to conceive is with donor egg. I had someone like that this week. Uh, And because it hasn't been explained properly to them. mm. Because it's saying okay we're testing this and what does it mean and if you look that up it's like okay that yeah that's not a good number or it's low usually it's categorized into high normal ranges or low Mm. and then critically low and i think low levels of amh can be caused by a number of factors something like being on the pill the pill well oral contraceptives can suppress amh and that's the role of the pill it is suppressing ovarian function yeah, causes transient sleepiness of the ovaries. Mm. <laughs> do you like that? I do. It's poetic. <laughs> but usually after the pill, like if you've been off it for about three months or so, your AMH should return to what would be your normal. Uh, but other things like endometriosis. I personally think I have asymptomatic endometriosis. And when I was having a cesarean, I was contemplating whether to ask them to check if I had endo. And I thought, Georgia, you've been awake for like over 24 hours. Just, just calm down. Just a cheeky down. look. Just a cheeky throw your eyes around. Question. I have a question. That's a question. Uh, so endo can lower AMH. Um, so too, if you've had chemotherapy or any type of treatment like that, that can lower AMH as well. So there's many factors that come into play aside from age. Genetics. Mm. And then I guess I'll speak on behalf of people who have elevated AMH. Typically, when we see elevated AMH, that is uh, because there's lots of follicles, uh, whether that be a picture of PCO, polycystic ovaries, meaning many cysts on the ovaries, or the syndrome, PCOS. Mm. Um, And so I think that typically that they will look at that and say, well, Okay, you do have high AMH, but it's not giving you an insight into the quality of those eggs. Just a marker that you do have sufficient or a surplus in energy uh, ovarian reserve. And when it comes to fertility, you you need one good quality egg, right? Right? Like you don't need millions of eggs. No. And so, say I have a low AMH and you have a high AMH, and we both ovulate every month. How many eggs are we releasing? Just the one. 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 What's different is that you may lose more follicles, you know, outside of your savings account than I would. That's the only difference. But our fertility is our chances of conception that much is still uh, conceptions that month is still age related, Mm. regardless of whether we have high or low AMH, which is absolutely fascinating. That's the interesting thing about AMH that I think people aren't told is that it's not an indicator of the quality of eggs or your chance of natural conception it's a marker potentially of the quantity of eggs and yeah and that if you are ovulating and that you're having regular cycles or you can predict ovulation you still completely have a chance of conceiving Mm. amh is good in a ivf setting though and i think that's where a lot of the research lies in that depending on your level you may respond 
a certain way to medications, right? And typically what they'll do um, in terms of looking at sort of a fertility workup, when somebody is testing AMH, usually it's best sort of paired with an ultrasound to have a look at your antral follicle count. Mm-hmm. How many eggs or how many, sorry, how many follicles on those ovaries, does that actually match up to your AMH levels? Mm. I also like to throw in some extra bloods whenever so so this i suppose is what we do f- to test your fertility so to speak so amh is one marker uh, other bloods like your fsh lh estradiol and i like to test all of those all of those on day two or three of the cycle and the reason for that is that day two or three is when your hormones are baseline mm. um considering day one of your cycle is the first day of your period day two or three your hormones are baseline and so we're not comparing them to when they're going to be surging we can compare them against each other yeah and i think uh so yeah pelvic ultrasound hormones on day two or three and then i think the big thing to remember is that amh is just one marker like when it comes to fertility yes we can do that kind of group of tests to get an understanding of your fertility but there are so many other factors and we spoke last week when we were talking about navigating pregnancy loss there are so many factors that get in the way completely and so i think probably my biggest advice is that if you are having this hormone tested ask questions if you get your results question it in terms of what does that mean what does that do i need to do further testing Um, if you have any concern around it rather than doing sort of your own research ask the person who is ordering that test for you Mm. georgia amh has plays an interesting role in your fertility journey Mm -hmm. i would love to hear from you a bit of your story so i I need to test my AMH again because I'd be so interested after now having two kids. What my, I don't think I tested it. I definitely didn't test it in between having babies. So it'd be so interesting to see. But my AMH back in my younger years was less than 0.01 picomoles per liter. And I remember, I remember testing it because I was in my early 20s and I was working at a fertility clinic and I was like, okay, well, like this is quite standard testing for all of our clients i want to know what my fertility is like you didn't have any like you didn't think that yours could be low i had i had a few irregular cycles like 60 plus day cycles uh and i wasn't on the pill i'm just trying to think i feel like i was on the pill for maybe a couple of years and came off in my early 20s and so i would have been off it for a couple of years before having that tested um but yeah, so I had it tested and I remember going back to my GP who referred me to a specialist and I remember the specialist saying, um, you know, you've got almost undetectable levels of AMH. And at that point, because I had so much going on that like my estrogen was out of whack, my FSH was really like it hormonally, it was just like shit show. Shit show. And so, I, I, you know, that's fine. And I remember the specialist saying, look, your fertility is not great. It looks like you're in early menopause. The only chance you have of conceiving is with donor egg. That is so tough to hear. Full How on. old were you? Like 20... 21, 22. Oh, really? Like young. really young. Maybe 23. Mm. Young, 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 young. Um, and I remember sitting there going, this cannot be real. Like it was my lunch break. I remember it. I think it was a Wednesday. <laughs> the appointment was at lunchtime because I remember I took it at my lunch break. So I was working in the morning, went to the appointment at lunch. 
came back to work and on the drive back to work, I remember thinking like that can, like, I just didn't accept it. Mm. I was like, it's not, that's not me. And there's going to be. It's got me confused with someone else. Yeah. Wrong, wrong papers. (laughs) But like, think about how many people would be getting that in terms of AMH results or other sort of things, especially at a younger age. Um, It's like, where do you start? What's next? Well, that's a good point and a good question because I then went on a whole journey to figure out hormones. How many we've got, what they do, travel they, the seven where they are on your journey. Exactly. And I figured out, well, I was researching. I made that sound like I've got all the answers. And, and also you do have a background in research too. So it's not just like Mr. Google. Yes. I was, yeah, well, I, yeah. So I wanted to know all of the factors that affected hormones. And so I just researched it. I just, I knew I wanted to know everything. And so what I did was I pretty much flipped my whole lifestyle. I quit my job, flipped my whole lifestyle, um, made Stephen do a bunch of tests because I also knew that I was only 50% of the equation. And he's an engineer, so I have to talk in equations, <laughs> you see. <laughs> I said, Stephen, I'm only 50% of this equation. One plus one. Equals X. Pretty much. And so we just, yeah, I did genetic testing for both of us. We did bloods. We looked at our sleep, our exercise, our stress, our supplement regime. Like, Environment you talk yes. a lot about in terms of your exposure to endocrine, endocrine disrupting chemicals, chemicals, heavy metals. Like I just I looked at, honestly, every single aspect and improved it as best I could. And we conceived my son Otto naturally. And he's a little firecracker, that little thing. Maybe I went too hard on the antioxidants because that little boy just has so much energy. He uses antioxidants. He's just like a running mitochondria. (laughs) That's a good analogy. Mitochondria, little energy hubs in cells. Anyway, that's probably not funny to anyone else other than us. And so for you, that goes against everything that your specialist told you. Yeah, well, the only thing the specialist, the only option I was given was donor egg. And that just didn't sit right. And not because I don't believe in it or I wasn't open to it, but because I was just so young, I was like, surely there's got to be something I can do. And because you hadn't had the chance to change some things first. Yeah, and we hadn't even, we weren't trying. Like that wasn't even on the radar. Like So it was hard to swallow that piece of information when I wasn't even on the fertility journey yet. And this is like what we have to say is that this is unfortunately not going to be the case for everybody, right? depending on age, depending Mm -hmm. on so many factors. This is your personal story and Mm -hmm. how AMH fits into this. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just think the biggest thing is that AMH can cause so much anxiety. The anxiety making hormone, the anxiety making hormone, and in so many cases, it's just unwarranted. Because you, what we are coming full circle to is that it blows my mind why we don't have a test for egg quality. Mm. Like we can test sperm quality, we can test motility, morphology, how essentially how quick it moves, what its makeup is like. But then when it comes to ovarian egg quality, mm. we don't have a marker for that. We just have to understand from whether it's able to be fertilized, whether it's able to have the chance to turn into a blastocyst, whether it's able to um, embed into the uterine wall. Mm. 
And then with my daughter, Rumi, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I breastfed Otto until he was, um, I don't know, maybe 15 months or something. And then I uh, got a cycle back and I only had one cycle and then I conceived again naturally oh, really? with Rumi. Mm. Um, so I don't, I don't know. And here's me with like my high AMH. Yeah, so you're like the other end of the scale where your AMH is like I've got eggs something to something. burn. <laughs> it's again uh, a lot of oh, a big sort of ovarian reserve, but again, equality. Yeah, you just goes back to we both can ovulate. <clears throat> Yay. And if we do ovulate, we release one egg. Like it's never going to be more than that, right? So is it? Can you uh, ever? Yeah. I, I had two dominant follicles recently. Oh, Chloe just winked at me then. Um, it doesn't mean that each of those follicles are going to house an egg, um, but because I'm taking medication letrozole, that is a side effect essentially because it's helping to mature these follicles. And I had a 16 millimeter of, uh, follicle impressive. and a 24 millimeter. So there's potential chance that two of them, that they may rupture and two eggs may come out. Oh my gosh. And then do you blow up? <laughs> sounds aggressive. Oh, it does. It does sound pretty aggressive. I'm actually pretty impressed with myself. <laughs> it is impressive. This whole journey is impressive. Was it last last week you spoke about the size of a fallopian tube and the size of an egg cell? Yeah, egg being the largest cell in the whole body which is actually visible to the naked eye. Wild. Yeah. I actually had a client so this week it's all where are we it's all blurring into one big day or last week who had been told that her amh is really low um and the only reason it was investigated was because she's trying to have her second baby and for a few months she's had an irregular cycle and so you know and because of her age they started doing some blood tests and her amh came back really low and of course it just stressed her out like she came in here, she was so stressed. Understandably, I'd be stressed too. Uh, but what was interesting is that her AMH was not tested before having her first child, which was only a couple of years ago. And the question is, what was it like before you conceived naturally the first time? We don't know. And would that be a same stressor if you knew what it was tested? Yeah. If you knew what it was before? Yeah. So... I don't know. How do you feel about AMH testing? I mean, I, I like it and I use it routinely because I want to have an understanding and my clients want to have an understanding of all of the factors that can get in the way. But I'm very conscious of how much stress and anxiety it can cause. I think as a human right, we should know what's going on in our body. In the same breath, I think it, there's, as we were saying, there's so much more investigations that, that's needed. So if you are sort of considering your fertility or you do have cycle symptoms, the best place would be to sort of touch base with your GP and get a full workup, whether that be an ultrasound, a pelvic ultrasound, um, you know, have, have a lot of those testings done so that you're not just basing this off one result. Yeah. I agree. If you were to test your fertility, the tests that you want to ask for are FSH, LH, estradiol, AMH, all on the one referral on day two or three of your cycle. And then a separate uh, referral for an ultrasound to check your antral follicle count between days five and nine. And and completely like in terms of making sure that when you're thinking about preconception workup, are you up to date with your cervical screenings? 
Are you taking a prenatal supplement? Have you has what's going on with your cycle? Are you aware of when you're ovulating? Um, what's just important as this is taking a full or detailed case history from mm. your client. Yeah, and this is this is like our thing. <laughs> this is what we do all the time. So probably to give insight, whenever we have a client or couple, we we do like a couple's initial fertility consult, which. I prefer, unless you're undergoing solo reproduction, I prefer to have both partners there because I often feel like I'm doing a disservice if I'm only speaking to 50% of the equation. Yeah, and you're putting more and you're saying that it's all on the female. Yes, yeah, and like we spoke about last week, if you were to experience pregnancy loss, often you take that on as the woman because it's like your body and you question everything you've done that week and what did you do wrong and also to say as well we do have same-sex couples coming in and depending on what's happening there are they using an egg and one person's carrying that the both of help the health of both individuals regardless of gender is going to be important if they're if they're playing a role in the fertility yeah so we'll talk about everything nutrient status thyroid function metabolic function weight gut health Family Food, history, family history, exercise, sleep, stress, exposure to environmental toxins, like- even just supplements. Have you got fifteen different supplements that you're taking? Do you even know what you're taking? The mm. right dosages. It, it doesn't have to be that complicated. In terms of you may be over supplementing, you may be under supplementing. In terms of contraindications with medication, think of it almost like a complete health review. Mm. And with supplements too. You know, often we'll see people who are taking a prenatal, but it's just not the right type. It's not the right form of nutrients. It's not the right dose of nutrients. Perhaps they're having adverse reactions. Like, for example, if you have a prenatal that has methylated B vitamins in it and you feel anxious when you take it, you could be reacting to the methyls in that. Some prenatals have folic acid versus folinic acid or methylfolate, which is preferred. Some people are taking a prenatal with not enough choline, or perhaps they're taking a prenatal with a good dose of iodine, and then they're taking whatever other supplements with iodine, and then that's too much iodine and can affect thyroid function. So many factors. Yeah, and and also as well, you may just be the one taking supplements. It's like you also need to consider both parties in this Mm. um, and, and what you're taking. So I think when it comes to AMH, I think the big takeaway... I would say there's three big takeaways with it. One, your number doesn't dictate your chance of conception, right? I feel pretty confident when I say that. Two, there are so many factors that contribute to your fertility or your, you know, the couple's fertility. And AMH is just one single factor. So you don't ever want to just say, I'm not conceiving because I have low AMH. It'll There'll be more to the story than that. The third takeaway with AMH is that really we use it in more of an IVF setting rather than in a natural conception setting. Because I, uh, depending on your AMH levels, that's going to determine how much medication they're using to stimulate your ovaries to produce and to mature. Thank you for giving us a bit of an insight into your fertility journey. I'm always so fascinated when I'm listening to how you conceive both of your children and mm. and what you were told compared to your outcomes yeah absolutely it's i think we're learning we're learning a lot about amh oh completely and i look forward to the day when we can test equality in a simple blood test mm. thanks for listening to this week's episode if you liked it leave us a review and follow us on socials we'd love to hear from you